and this administration is fully committed, fully committed to fulfilling the promise of health data and IT and to supporting the ingenuity uh, of the folks in this room. So thank you for the work that you're doing. I'm Dan Diamond. This is Pulse Check, and that was former HHS Secretary Tom Price speaking at the Health Data Palooza conference last year. Data Palooza is one of the nation's big health IT events, a chance for federal officials and companies to make news. And this year's conference, which kicks off on Thursday, April 27th, looks to be no exception, with Trump administration officials and high-profile firms scheduled to speak. So on today's episode, we'll be hearing from Lisa Simpson, whose group Academy Health hosts Data Palooza on what to watch for at this year's conference and what she thinks about the state of data and research, especially with this White House in charge. After the break, Politico reporter Mahana Ravindranath joins Pulsecheck to discuss her reporting on the health IT landscape and what she has learned from this year's big announcements. Just a reminder that if you like Pulsecheck, you can help us rate it, review it, share an episode with a friend. It helps us get new listeners and helps us discover what we can be doing with this show. You can also find me at ddiamond at politico.com or at ddiamond on Twitter. And with that, here's Lisa Simpson of Academy Health. We're less than 48 hours away from Health Data Palooza, which kicks off on Thursday. There are hundreds of people about to come to your event. How are you feeling? Very excited. And I, you know, we have other events, we do, but there's something special about Data Palooza because it brings together people I don't otherwise see, and they're all really relevant to this question of how is data actually going to help us solve some of these wicked challenges in healthcare. So like who? Who do you not normally see who's going to be a data So startups. So all these new companies that are forming that are thinking in new and different ways and merging or creating new approaches to some of our challenges. Um, we're seeing more and more patients involved in Health Data Palooza. And we that's not just by happenstance. That is concerted effort on our part. We're actually a patients-included conference for the third year in a row. And that has particular meaning for me because I think we've all had our healthcare experiences as a patient or for a loved one, but I'm also a breast cancer survivor. So I've been through that, you know, a pretty tough trajectory. And so getting patients at the table, and you probably know the old saying in Washington, if you're not at the table, you're You're on on the the menu or on the table. Exactly. So that's another thing that that really excites me about the Data Palooza. And something that's different that we've been working on, but especially this year, I think we're getting better at, is um, making sure that we're hearing from state and local governments. Because this is not just about just the private sector. It's not just about feds. It's about all of us working, the public and private, together to solve these challenges. You mentioned a bunch of different groups who are going to be there. The startups from Silicon Valley, which is a big selling point of the conference. The patient groups, the state and local governments. Then, of course, there's the feds. There's the feds. And there's healthcare delivery systems. And there's venture capital. I mean, these are all part of the data ecosystem um, that are going to contribute to us succeeding or taking a very long time to make a difference. Data Palooza was famously created under the Obama administration. HHS helped work to, to launch it. Now there's a new administration. Right. And the Trump administration has been allergic let's say, to lots of things that began under the Obama folks. Why is this conference continuing with their support in a new administration? And it's not just this year, but last year, the first year of the new administration, we held the Data Palooza, and there is continued commitment. Why is that? Well, you know, I think we all agree that innovation and data are kind of the lifeblood of the American economy. We 
fundamentally believe that. And as I talk to our great partners at HHS on this, it's about not changing. It's about handing off the baton, the work that Todd did, the work that Susanna Fox did. Todd, Todd Park. The Todd Park, yes. The former ch- chief technology officer. Former HHS CTO and then White House chief technology officer um, will be attending again. And it's very much about a handoff and continuity because we're just trying to push harder and build on what was already established. So you think data is one of those nonpartisan scenarios that both sides can generally agree on. The potential of data to help us do much, much better in healthcare value, I think, is shared by all of us. Are we there yet? No. And that's one of the things about Data Palooza, too, that we really try to push is that kind of get below the surface of the hype and the shiny new object and really talk beyond the buzzwords. Okay, is blockchain, I'm still trying to figure out what blockchain is, is it really going to solve our problems in privacy? You know, Bitcoin, what can we learn from Bitcoin in healthcare? So kind of trying to get beyond those buzzwords is is part of what I find really interesting at the event. The climate this year feels notably different than a year ago when Republicans were full speed ahead on ACA repeal. And the ACA didn't just expand coverage. There were lots of new initiatives that grew out of that that law. Where are we now, Lisa, when it comes to this administration and healthcare research? Is it a very supportive environment? Have there been steps back from the Obama administration? So healthcare research has always been a very bipartisan issue um, in terms of both the executive branch and the federal and the legislative branch. I mean, just look at the increases in the National Institutes of Health. But within healthcare research writ large, there's also the kind of research that we at Academy Health focus on, which is health services research, which is not about diseases of the body and how to prevent or cure those. It's how to sort of address the challenges of the system itself, sort of what are the diseases of the healthcare system, so that there we are able to actually transform care and make it not just better value, but safer for patients, higher quality, and more patient-centered. So there, the the support, um, you know, has never been what we would like it to be. Um, But it certainly is not what it was five years ago, um, actually just in 2015, where there was an initiative to, um, on the legislative side in Congress, to uh, eliminate the Agency for Healthcare Research and quality. And we had a whole campaign, hashtag save ARC. This year, we got the first increase in the budget for AHRQ. So we think that uh, we'd like to think that we're doing a little bit better on our messaging about how you have to get current care better at the same time that you're looking for cures. And it's an and proposition, not an either or. So I think there is a lot of support for research in this administration, the last administration. It's just making sure they understand it's all research, not just basic science. Well, I, I want to push on that a little bit because that funding increase for ARC, AHRQ, came in the budget bill that Congress passed. So that was Congress. Isn't there a split between what Congress chooses to do in this town and what the White House chooses to do when it comes to the budget, at least? Oh, well, that that's a whole other conversation that's been going on for a while. And absolutely, there is a split. But when we talk to our uh, the various committees of jurisdiction on Capitol Hill, there's a real interest in understanding how these pieces of research fit together. So we, I think, as a research community, have to do a better job of explaining how they fit together, why what might on the surface when it's research in two places, it's not the same research. And we, have, you know, that's kind of our job to do, a, uh, do better at. Um, in terms of the split, I think there's a fundamental, again, support for research. It's just the devil's in the details. 
whose research gets funded how and by whom. And that's where the hard work is happening right now to try to do that. And in fact, in the budget bill that you just talked about, the 2018 budget, um, there was in ARC's uh, appropriation a request for a study to actually look back to 2012 and look for, and look forward and say, what is the best way to think about that piece of health research, which is health services research, and how to better organize it in the federal government, how to better fund it, what gaps have we still not addressed. And so we're looking at that. I think that's a real positive sign that they they don't want to just eliminate it. They want to understand how does this work better together. And hey, as a taxpayer, I'm all for that. Let's, let's make health services research a little bit more real to listeners. Austin Fract, Aaron Carroll, researchers who have been affiliated with Academy Health have come on this podcast and talked about their work. What to you is some of the signature HSR, health services research, contributions from the past few years? So it's a great question. And again, I come back. Most people don't know the term health services research. They're probably hearing it on this podcast for the first time. But it's research that answers the questions about what works in healthcare. How do you stay safe when you go to a hospital? Um, How does your primary care provider um, meet your condition needs, whether you have diabetes or heart failure, anything you have? And then once you figure out what works for which patients, how do you implement that at a system level? How do you put in place the incentives, the payments, the types of workforce you need so that patients are actually getting the right care at the right time? So in recent years, wow, there are lots of good examples. Uh, you mentioned Austin Fract and Aaron Carroll, who are not just members, but you know, great leading factors. So some of the obvious um, questions that get answered by our field is, so what difference is happening within the insurance marketplace? Um, and we have our annual research meeting coming up in June. And they're always late-breaking abstracts. What are we learning about enrollment? Who's getting enrolled? Who's not? Now, uh, when there's less um, implementation of the mandate, does that mean certain populations fall out of the marketplace. Um, other questions, all right, we have a lot of talk about waste in healthcare, but how do you actually eliminate waste? So there's a whole field emerging, and we work on it on low-value care, not just defining it, but how do you get rid of it? So how do you use decision support systems? So, you know, electronic health record, we've all seen our doctor sitting there typing into the uh, computer. How can alerts and prompts help that doctor not give you a service that you actually don't need? So those are a couple of examples of figuring out how to do that. Another big study recently, the Medicaid study in Oregon, measuring whether actually getting covered made a difference in the lives of previously uninsured people. That's That's been a study that's come up over and over again in legislative battles. Yes, and, and it's incredibly relevant. And getting beyond just does Medicaid get you insurance and get you access to a, a clinician, but does it make a difference to your health? And so we can get into dis- debating the methodologies, but I think there are more and more of those studies starting to really show how it does change the health status, the actual quality of life of uh, the individuals who do achieve coverage. And for children, um, it's absolutely critical that children get in early and have consistent care over their lifetime to achieve optimal outcomes. There are so many research studies that come from different journals, different researchers. How should a listener, how should a hospital employee make sense of the research that comes across her desk? So um, it's a challenge. And in fact, we have a whole translation dissemination institute because one of the big 
challenges we face as a field is that translation, that handoff. You have a finding. How do you get people to know about it and then actually implement a solution in their local context? And so that um, we're trying to tackle that because you've probably had other uh, folks on your podcast who talk about behavioral economics. We're talking much more about how can you nudge people into making the right choices for themselves as patients, but also providers. And so um, I think we have a lot more to learn about the implementation aspect. We've been very good at generating new research and new ahas, but actually then handing off to the hospital administrator is where we fall down. So what I'm what I'm hearing from you is that some of that challenge is actually on the researcher's end to make sure that the study is easily communicated and implemented before it can even land on the hospital employee's desk. Well, first of all, even before that, the researcher has to be asking a question that anybody cares about. You know, if this is a question that's intellectually interesting, health services research is a very applied field. We have a component that's about sort of changing how we think of the about the question, but a lot of it is talk to the stakeholders. You know, find out what health plan administrators, hospital administrators, what are they struggling with, and do research on those questions. The second thing, which contributes to this challenge, is the incentives. We've talked about incentives for patients and providers. What are the incentives for researchers? Well, it's to get published in high-impact journals to get more grants, and it's not. They're not incentivized to go out into the community to work with community organizations with delivery systems to implement their findings. So we've got to think about how to change the incentives in our scientific community as well so that we get to implementation much quicker. How would you change those incentives? Well, you can actually link. In other countries, we've seen evidence of um, national funding institutions linking future funding to demonstration of impact. For example, in the UK, uh, in Australia, in Canada, there are examples all at different stages of trying to move in this direction. And so you're not just rewarded and get your next grant based on what you found, but whether anybody used it and what difference it made. And, you know, again, it's a very powerful motivator that people care about what difference it makes. This issue of open data goes well beyond just research. Patient data in healthcare can be tamped down. Health systems don't always have an incentive to share the data that they have with their competitors. That's just the way the U.S. system has evolved. How worried are you about lack of data access in the U.S. healthcare system? Um, I'm worried, um, but it's a layer. I would modify your question to say it's who gets access to whose data when and for what purpose. And so there's not a simple answer. I think we, we try to, in the public conversation, um, look for simple answers. And first of all, I think as a patient myself, you know, patients need access and ownership of their data. It's their life. It's their data. Um, but that's getting even more complicated now because we're not just talking about data that historically has just been in the electronic health record. We're now seeing the datafication of all human behavior. Every click I do on the computer, every, I don't have a Fitbit on me, but every step I take, you know, go to your song, all of that can be a data point. And so understanding the ethics behind that, um, what it means, how to balance protection and security with, with giving good access for good purposes, I think we're in the throes of that conversation. And it's not just the traditional players interested in this. Facebook was looking into the possibility of using healthcare data 
and, and Facebook has its own data concerns. So these are new players to healthcare who aren't constrained by some of the same rules that have governed what hospitals and insurers have been able to do. Absolutely. And in fact, I'm glad you mentioned that because at Datapalooza, we have Amazon, we have Twitter, we have Google, Verily, we have Yelp. So yes, there are some new players coming. These are all the panelists talking These are all panelists on either the main stage or the breakout. So absolutely, we're seeing new entrants coming in. And I welcome that. I think it's terrific. I think it's kind of messy. They're going to find out it's complicated. Um, so I hope they can help us find solutions faster. But yes, we're we're seeing new players who I'm I again I'm I'm an optimist. I hope they can help us figure this out more quickly. Speaking of data palooza, are there any other major speakers that you're either looking forward to or who are expected to debut something new? So um, I, I like to say we well up until today we had the big five. Uh, Secretary Azar did decline. Uh, we just heard that today, uh, but S- Deputy Secretary Hargan will be there. So we have, but we have uh, Seema Verma, Commissioner Gottlieb, uh, um, Bruce Greenstein, the HHS CTO uh, who took the baton from his predecessors, and uh, Don Rucker at the uh, the National Coordinator. So that's the the private side, uh, the public side. And, and, and to put some titles around those folks, so Seema Verma is the head of CMS. Medicare and Medicaid. Scott Gottlieb runs FDA and Deputy Secretary Hargan's the number two guy at just stepping in for the number one guy, Alex Azar, who I assume is canceling because of his uh, uh, illness that he's been fighting for the past week. Uh, we assume. Yes. Um, and but on the on the private side, I mean, we have David Wickman from United Health Group, the CEO. I mean, between HHS and United Health Group, how much data on Americans are we talking about? I mean, the potential to use data in a completely different way is amazing. So I'm really looking forward to that. Your conference is drawing leaders from around the country, federal government, healthcare leaders, all to the same room. I want to flip that around. Do researchers have the same voice in this Washington that they had in previous years? President Obama, famously a reader, the current president, makes decisions based on his gut. Do researchers have as much of a voice in the Trump administration as they did in previous years? Well, you know, our North Star is evidence and science. And we joined the March for Science last year. We are members of the AAAS for science. We are concerned about any um, devaluing or not paying attention to what the science tells us. And so we are monitoring and always responding to any time anybody, wherever they sit, um, raises questions about uh, the value of science and the role of science in our decision-making as a country. So we're absolutely committed to that. Are we as effective as we could be? Probably not. In fact, I would say not. Um, so we monitor it, and there are certainly some signals that we worry about, and we've made statements about that. And one of them is making sure we have the data collection continue, upon which you can layer then open data, good research, open science, and making sure that the data that is collected is as reliable and robust and truthful as possible. So those are some areas we're certainly monitoring. There had been concerns that this administration was going to clamp down on access to data when coming in. Have we seen any backsliding? Well, I think in any administration, we are always pushing for more data release and more transparency. I think the latest example of concern that was raised was around the Medicare Advantage data. And I think there's a recent commentary in JAMA or a journal about this from Niall Brennan at the and his colleagues. So... Um, you know, it's it's an issue that we track in every administration. So if I'm hearing you, 
an ongoing concern and reasons to be closely watching under this administration, too. Absolutely. Lisa Simpson, head of Academy Health, thank you for joining Politico Pulse Check. Thank you, Dan. Mohana Ravindranath, welcome to Politico Pulse Check. Thanks for having me. So you're one of our health IT reporters. You just heard the conversation with Lisa Simpson talking about the state of data and research under the Trump administration. I'm curious if you could say maybe what she could not. What's the state of data and research under the Trump administration? I think it remains to be seen. The Trump administration has made several pronouncements about the importance of data and the importance of giving patients access to their data. But we haven't seen all that much in terms of actual steps taken. The Trump's Trump's initial budget request uh, sort of intended to roll back uh, investments in health IT and the office that oversees regulations surrounding health IT. That might be a better indicator of what the Trump administration plans to do versus what they're saying about it. And those cuts are significant. They've talked about merging that office with other parts of HHS. They have also talked about reducing what the over, what that office's oversight is. So uh, sort of eliminating entire teams within that office. There was There is an office that is dedicated to patient engagement, and the Trump administration has talked about eliminating that altogether. So those are sort of indications that I think the Trump administration plans to partner with the private sector versus taking a more regulatory approach to, to data, health data. Data Palooza is looming this week. It's one of the big conferences in health IT. One of the others was HIMSS out in Las Vegas a number of weeks ago. You were at HIMSS. What was the feeling like on the ground, especially because the Trump administration was there too, making some pretty big announcements? Uh, I was at the Health Information Management System Society Conference in Las Vegas. <laughs> Though everyone calls it HIMSS. Everyone calls it HIMSS. It was my first time there. Uh, but I, the sense I got was that attendees were very surprised to see the Trump administration there. We didn't hear that Jared Kushner was going to be there until very soon before. Uh, I think they were intending to signal how important patient data is to this administration. It's it's something I didn't see under Obama. Uh, health IT is not necessarily the most sexy topic, but uh, Jared Kushner, who leads the White House Office of American Innovation, was there talking about giving patients access to their health records. And he was talking about blue button and veterans data, uh, not something you'd expect uh, the presidential the senior advisor to the president to be saying. Well, Jared Kushner also tapped to negotiate peace in the Middle East. And here he was at the health IT conference trying to talk about data, which, which might be just as big a challenge, though not, not as much of a global one. The feeling at hims about the administration beyond Jared Kushner and Seema Verma's announcement, what were folks on the ground saying? I think they're waiting to see some action uh, supporting what Jared Kushner and Seema Verma have been sketching out. They're, they're sketching out this vision in which patients can not only access their own health records, but they can integrate the data that they collect from their Fitbits or any other alternative streams of data and put it all in one place. It sounds nice. The technology exists, but the thing is in practice, it's actually kind of difficult to coordinate all those streams of information because of standards. So I think a lot of the people who have been in this industry and in the health IT industry for a long time are critical of is that these people who aren't necessarily mired in health IT standards are talking about this vision without actually talking about the standards and the coordination that's required between all these stakeholders to, to make that vision happen. Um, it's, not, it's not about the technology. It's really just about connecting people. And that's not really part of the rhetoric that the Trump administration has been putting out. 
there's a lot of skepticism just generally when it comes to this issue, because for years, people have made large pronouncements about the data that will be available, the ways that patients will be able to see everything that's going on with their medical care. And yet here we are in 2018, there are still significant barriers to making those dreams a reality. Yes. And the barriers are not technological at all. I think that that is the theme a lot of the people who have been in this industry for a long time are harping on, that the the technology exists. It is possible to give patients access to their data, but there are all these in, these standards that uh, that make it difficult for people to exchange their data between networks or take it from one hospital to the next. And when you say standards, this isn't just like a standard of behavior. These are the actual things governing how data is kept and shared. Right. So classifications of certain data, making sure that the even something as basic as the format in which an electronic health record is kept is the same between one place and the next, or that it's interchangeable, interoperable. And those are the kinds of discussions, the nuts and bolts discussions that I think, underlie this vision that Seema Verma and Jared Kushner have been talking about. But they're not talking about those things in particular. And I think one way to measure whether they're, they will actually be able to achieve this vision that they're talking about is how closely they talk with the experts and how closely they talk, they talk with industry groups who actually work in uh, these work on standards to make sure that they can connect those things. Lisa mentioned some of the non-traditional players that are coming to Data Palooza. Those non-traditional players either came to hymns or timed announcements in the past number of weeks. Which ones have you been tracking, Mohana, and which ones have the most impact potentially for the healthcare system? The company I track the most at this point is Apple, which recently announced a feature in which p- patients can download their electronic health records through the health app. So this is a standard app that is on anyone's iPhone. The idea is that a patient can go through their health record instead of going through their patient portal. So instead of logging onto the site that their provider has already designed to give them their patient records, they can just do it on their phone, a consumer device. This is the app called Health that most folks just overlook. They don't even pay attention to it. And yet Apple has big plans for using that as a platform to integrate data, integrate other things that patients, uh, patients with chronic illness, for example, might need to track their care. And I think it's significant because it represents a large consumer tech company realizing what the standards are that are required to gather all this data from electronic health record vendors. So they recognize that the technology exists, but they also recognize that they have to work with those vendors and adopt a certain common standards. So in addition to the fact that every patient within a certain set of providers that that are participating in this program in addition to the fact that they can download their app, their electronic health health records, now all these providers are able to reach out to a broader number of people than they previously did because people weren't really using the patient portals. They weren't actually going, logging in and downloading the health records because they didn't really know how or it was an extra step. And now they have this capability on their phones. It's, it's the idea that even if the data is made available, if patients can't get it easily, and it can't be presented in a way that the average consumer can understand, then it might as well not be available because no one's going to take the time. Right. And I think this is really just a first step because what Apple is presenting is sort of basic. There are only a handful of metrics about a person's health records that are that show up on the app. So I think it's a first step. Eventually, they're talking about integrating other streams of data from the health app that your phone might passively be collecting like steps and sleep data, things like this. Um, But at this point, I think it's really just showing patients it's not so hard to 
to interact with your health data. All you have to do is go through this app and you can see it. And that's a first step. Maybe it's not all that useful to you yet. It could be more useful in the future. So I, I, I'm going to be tracking this to see whether they integrate new features. I'm also going to be tracking it to see whether patients are really using this because it's as far as I know, uh, you know, th this capability exists, but we don't have any good numbers about the, 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 the penetration, you know, how many people are using it, how often they're using it, whether they find this information useful or whether it's really kind of a gimmick. I think that raises my last question here, which is there's skepticism around the government and whether this government is going to commit to doing the things that researchers, that private sector companies want on data. There's also skepticism that Silicon Valley can deliver on these big promises, Facebook, Apple, these companies don't have historic healthcare expertise. Why will they be able to do what lots of companies have tried over the years and failed to do? Again, that remains to be seen. I think um, the Apple announcement was interesting just because it required a deep understanding of the standards and the interoperability issue. And these other consumer tech companies understand at a very basic level that the technology exists. And they think, because we can do the technology part, we can do the rest of it. Uh, for Apple to be able to pull this off, it really required them to talk to the standards-making organizations who operate sort of outside the consumer tech space. And they had to be able to talk to vendors and make sure that the vendors agreed on this. And that, I think, is the much bigger lift. That's, that's, that sort of signals their potential success in this space in a way that other consumer tech companies haven't that have tried to develop their own health records. Like, you know, Google and Microsoft have also come up with their own systems. Those didn't really work out. Last question. There are so many different digital evangelists, people who have been in the government or in the private sector who speak and, and carry the weight of a thousand sons behind them on what's going to happen in, in healthcare and data. Who are you tracking? Who are the voices that matter most in your mind? I tend to pay a lot of attention to people in the private sector, so I, I'm curious to see what Jeff Bezos's interest is in in uh, healthcare, for instance, especially after the Amazon announcement that Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan Chase were going to work together uh, on this healthcare venture. Um, I, I look to see. I look to those people because they have a sense of what's possible. Um, but I also look to people in the standards-making organizations, people at ONC, about what really consumes them, what keeps them up at night. Um, you know, the people who are actually working on rules at ONC that will make it illegal for people, for companies to block the transfer of health information, for instance. So I'm sort of keeping an eye on what's going on at the policy level, the people who are really actually every day working on these rules, and sort of the blue sky people. So the, the people with the, the bigger, uh, I guess, the, the visions of what's possible in technology. Mohana Ravindranath, thank you so much for joining Politico Pulse Check. Thanks for having me. And now I'd like to take a minute to remember a friend and colleague. People recognize that incentivizing doctors to prescribe more expensive drugs, regardless of whether they work better or not, is generally not very sound way to go. And, and, and this is one crack at that. Um, but I think they're going to need to kind of test it out on probably smaller scale than what they've initially proposed to get a better grip on what might actually work. That was Brett Norman, Politico Health reporter, appearing on this podcast in May 2016, where he was discussing the Obama administration's plan to change how drugs were paid for. Unfortunately for us, Brett's voice on this podcast and in our newsroom had been absent for a while. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in late 2016 and died last weekend at age 43. Brett leaves behind his wife, Kate Daly, his sons, Everett Noen, his mother and brother, and many colleagues at Politico and beyond 
who remember him fondly. Brett was with Politico since 2011, and you can see his fingerprints across our team, from the launch of our weekly prescription Pulse newsletter to the ongoing pharma coverage led by Sarah Carlin Smith. More importantly, he was a kind and thoughtful soul, someone who never seemed to get ruffled by the news cycle and always had a kind word, even at odd hours. Before I started at Politico, when I was just a Pulse reader, desperately hoping to get a link to my stories in the newsletter, I would pitch in my articles at midnight or after, and he humored me in word and deed far more than he needed to. And Brett was a great reporter. That issue, that Obama administration drug plan that brought Brett onto our podcast back in May 2016, Brett, even after he got his cancer diagnosis and was out of the office, got the scoop that the Obama administration would end that plan. We're thinking of you, Brett, and we're thinking of your family. That's it for Pulse Check this week. My thanks to Lisa Simpson of Academy Health and producers Mikaela Rodriguez and Dave Shaw for taking time and care with this episode. You can find me at ddiamondapolitico.com. You can find Pulse Check on all of your favorite podcast apps. And you can find a new episode of this show in your podcast player next week.